And my family is watching it this morning. The Ramsey Fair is watching it. Okay. Yeah. No, no. Like the whole rest of the family. So my sisters, my parents, my aunt and uncle. And they, they set up a projector and big screen everything inside the barn. So it's like, like a movie. There is electric. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Anyway. So. It's partly why we're doing this song again. It's because my dad requested it. So. That's why we're doing. The, yeah. That's why we're doing this, I believe. Again. Um. Well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a church watch party. So. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right. This I believe I believe in life eternal. 
that's closing. It's going to be really cool. That's going to be so cool. Yes, that's going to be so cool. Do we want to run Come What May again? Or, sorry, before you. I should have waited until you unplugged all of it. I. <laughs> Sometimes I do um, something, and, and it works out pretty well. Other times I regret it. And you guys have probably done this before in your life at some point. Um, your kids will ask you, hey, can we do this or should I do this? And out of your mouth comes, ah, it's up to you. <laughs> Sometimes that works out real well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you think, now wait a minute. Why didn't I have a better plan? Why didn't I have, at least, why wasn't I more specific? At the very least, why didn't I just give them some options? Just give them some options. Well, it's up to you. You know, the truth is, sometimes that's the way life is. And, and we are treated that way. We're treated that way by God himself. We're treated that way by our Father. There are many times God says, well, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do, how, whatever decision you want to make here, whatever way you want to go. But at no point, because of these times that God says it's up to you, at no point should you uh, think that you are actually in charge of this creation. You're not in charge of this creation. You're not in charge of, of this world. You're not in charge of the cosmos. You're not even in charge of some of the smaller areas of your own life and mind and heart. fact of the matter is God's in charge. God's in charge, always has been in charge, and always will be in charge. The king is on his throne. He knows full well what's happening in this world and in life. He knows full well what's happening in your life and in your mind and in your heart. In fact... He knows what's happening in your mind. He knows what's happening in your heart better than you do. Better than you do. You see, we have this, this idea that maybe even inside of our own lives, we've got a better handle on it than God does or a better handle on our, our thoughts, emotions, attitudes, feel, whatever it is. But Scripture tells us that God knows us even more than we do. In fact, he even steps in and helps out sometimes. You know, the Holy Spirit groans for us. You know, Paul tells us we don't even know sometimes what we ought to pray for. We don't even know sometimes how we ought to speak and talk. We don't even know sometimes how to organize our own thoughts 
But the Holy Spirit steps in. He helps us, cares for us, lifts these things up before God. God is in charge. And if you don't believe that, I don't want you to nod along with it. Because we run into two issues in our lives many times. Number one, we don't believe that God is in charge. Or number two, we like to usurp the authority of God in our lives. We either think he's not in charge, we really can't do or care the way he says he can. Or we recognize that he is and we try to take charge We try to control, we try to determine the most important things and how we want to act and react in our lives. And so, if you don't believe that God is, in fact, in charge, please don't nod along, because I don't want you to condemn yourself. Fact is, it is his right to be in charge. It is his divine right. It's his right by creation. It's his right by power. It's certainly his right by love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are in charge. We ask, Father, that you help us to trust that. We ask, Father, that you help us to believe you. That we humble ourselves. We ask, Father, that you help us to be responsive to your leading, your guiding in our lives. Father, we also ask... We lean upon you, that we rely upon your help and your guidance in the good days and in the bad. We ask, Father, today that perhaps we are challenged, that you open up our eyes and our minds, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Now, we're going to cover a few verses before we get there, but you can hang out in Genesis chapter 41 for a while. We are in uh, our VBS series, and and the reason we do this, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, it's accountability. We want you to know what your kids are going to be taught during vacation Bible school. But the other reason is uh, you also can learn and can know. You can have these conversations with your kids. Uh, You can dive a little bit deeper into the understandings of Scripture and the character of God. We're talking about something being, and that is God, monumental, grand, huge, bigger than we can, can believe, bigger than we can visualize. A couple weeks ago, we learned, and we want your kids to walk away from night one knowing that God loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. He doesn't always agree with you. In fact, there's times that we can upset God, right? We can grieve the Spirit, but that doesn't mean that He withholds His love from you. And again, throughout all this, I think it's very beneficial for us to look at God as Father, especially those of you who have kids, right? Those of you who have kids, of course, you know where I'm coming from, right? Those of you who have kids, you know the love that a parent has for their kids. And then we also learn that God is with us no matter what, that he's not going to leave us or forsake us. Now, there are times in life that we turn our back on God. There are times in life 
particularly today, if we want to take authority, super authority in, in, in our lives away from God, but God doesn't walk out. He doesn't wash his hands of us and say, you're hopeless. In fact, Jesus tells us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You may not remember, you may not think about the fact that I'm a part of your life, that I care about you, and that I'm here. But the fact of the matter is, I'm always here. I'm always a part of your life. We've been seeing some of these things through the life of Joseph, and today we'll pick it up where we left off last week. Joseph asked last week the royal cupbearer to talk to Pharaoh for him and get him out of prison. He's been in prison now for about uh, 11 years. He's been a slave He's been uh, serving in Egypt, and he's been in prison. And that whole, that whole course has been about 11 years. But the cupbearer forgot. It just went completely out of his mind. Here's someone begging you to help them out of prison, and the cupbearer forgets. Now, Joseph has been waiting under guard for an additional two years. Two more years in prison. Two more years in the dungeon. And he might be thinking, I might be thinking at this point, things are getting out of hand. Well, let's face it, this is now 13 years. Things have gone on long enough. Joseph is hated by his brothers. He's sold as a slave. Unless you're reading my notes here, then he's sold as a salve, apparently. <laughs> Falsely accused of sexual harassment by Potiphar's wife. Thrown in prison for years. He had a glimmer of light in the midst of this valley when he was able to talk to the cupbearer, and now even that has fallen through. Why? If that's fallen through, why was it even presented in the first place? And if these things are going through my mind as I'm in the depth of the valley, if they're going through my mind when I'm in prison, maybe it's time to give up. Maybe it's time to take over. Maybe it's time to take matters into our own hands or to resign ourselves of a life bereft of joy and bereft of freedom. Maybe the bad guys won. I've been here 13 years. Maybe the bad guys won. In fact, maybe good and evil have an equal shot at victory in this world. And it's just up to chance. It's just up to chance. After all, don't we look at Joseph's life and we say that this is unfair? So many of the times that we see life being unfair is God working through us, through the valley to do incredible things. Here's a question or a thought. Maybe, Joseph, maybe you're just not that special. Maybe God doesn't care, he doesn't see, he doesn't know, he doesn't have any kind of construction or, or, or any type of plan at all for my life. The fact of the matter is, Joseph, maybe you're just not that special. After 13 years, we can begin to think that, to throw in the towel. I think, though, that sometimes in order for us to realize that God is in charge, he needs to put us in situations that we can't control. In order for us to realize he's in control, there are times we need to be places that we cannot control. The question is, how do we respond? 
How do we respond in the midst of the valley? How do we respond after 13 years? We've already talked about the fact that you can respond in faith, that you can continue your perseverance after an hour, a day, even a year, maybe a season of life. What about 13? While you're still in prison, after situations have fallen through. You want God to get to the end. Whatever you're going to do, however you're going to get there, wherever this valley is leading, get to the end. You ever want to hurry up, God? Hmm? I mean, if you trust him and you know that you're remaining faithful, have you ever wanted God to hurry up? Just get to where we're going to go. I have. I've wanted God to hurry before. If it's going to work to an end, I want him to get around to it. God is in charge. And he always will be. That means that we run on his time. And if you don't believe that, if you don't care about that, or if you think that all of this is foolishness, church, you are going to be fighting this the rest of your life. The rest of your life. You're going to be filled with anger and frustration and fear and sadness. If we don't realize that we run on God's time. We run on his schedule, his will, his power. I hate to say his plan because sometimes that gets misunderstood without going into further detail. But we'll talk about that in September. Bottom line is, we don't know tomorrow and God does. He has all the power, even the power that we've been granted. It's his creation. You're his creation and he has you well in hand. Isaiah 55, this will be on your screen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. He's talking about remaining faithful, giving our lives over to the righteousness of God. Let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. What happens when we give our lives over to the power, the charge, control of God? We understand what God says in verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You can scarcely see what I can see. You can scarcely imagine what God can see as a reality. He says, submit your life to me. What if I told you there was a way to hurry up God? Hmm? What if I told you there was a way to hurry up God, or at least make it seem like God is hurrying up? Not only that, I'll tell you this, you've done it before in the past, in other areas of your life, and you'll do it again. The idea that we can see or feel as though God is hurrying up. I'll give you an example from scripture, you'll know what I'm talking about. Remember, I told you a few weeks ago that Laban told Jacob, not Joseph, Laban told Jacob that he had to work for him for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And that was the only way. Now he got tricked into marrying somebody else. But the point was, Laban wanted him to labor for him. Jacob even offered this. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, Look, Laban, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, yeah, it's not a bad idea. It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Look closely now. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. What if I asked you, what if I told you you could hurry up God? It seemed like only a moment. It seemed as though time was going quickly. 
And I told you, you've done this in the past, right? The difference between busy days and slow days. Busy days, you look at the clock once in the morning. The next time you look at the clock, it's time to go home. Slow days drag on forever sometimes. Jacob was dedicated to the object of his love. He cared about Rachel, was so focused and attuned on that object that time flew by. Look, if you're in the prison, if you're in the valley, you're going to emerge in God's time. While there, can you use it? If you're in the valley now, if you're in the prison now, can you use it? Can you help others? Can you disciple others who are walking through the valley with you? Can your spouse or your kids or your church watch you and learn as they see your faith in the valley? As they see your faith, your obedience in the prison? Can you dedicate your life to Jesus Christ even while you're in the valley? Can they see the peace and power of God in your life? Can you go arm in arm with someone else walking through similar situations? You may have noticed that that's exactly what Joseph is doing while he's in prison. We saw last week that Joseph is going about God's business even in the valley. That he's maintaining faith. That we read over and over again that God is with him. He's living with integrity. He's interpreting dreams. He's giving credit and honor to God while he's going through suffering. This is going to pay off in his life and in the life of others. And why not? Why not pour yourself into God's service in the valley? What else are you going to do while you're in prison? What else are you going to do when it's dark, when you're walking through, as David says, the valley of the shadow of death? What other plans do you have? I mean, through the dreams that Joseph interprets, we know that God's still there. And Joseph had a plan. He had a plan, the cupbearer, but he had to wait an additional two years. Why must he continue to suffer in the valley? Because God is in charge. Proverbs 16, in their hearts, humans, man, plans their course, but God establishes their steps. There's nothing wrong with planning your course. There's nothing wrong with, with looking into the future, trying to decide where you're going to go, what you're going to do, using the resources around you. But you've got to understand, it's God that says, okay, now's time. And there's probably a lot of things, a lot of people in this room where God is saying to you in your life, in your mind, in your situations, in your heart, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. You'll get there. You'll get to the end of the valley. You'll get out of the prison. Right? You'll get through the low. But not yet. Not yet. I have training for you. I have sanctification for you. I have testing for you. I have strengthening for you. I have things on the horizon that you will never see but are shaped because of the trials and tribulations that you're going through right now. See, it's so easy to think that God doesn't have the power, is not present, does not love or care when we're in the valley, but God's always in charge. He will move exactly when he wants to move, which is exactly when he should move. What is happening while Joseph is spending an additional two years in prison? If you're familiar with the story, do you know what is happening uh, around the world throughout Egypt while he is spending two additional years in prison? It's getting closer to famine time. That's what's happening. 
It's getting closer to famine time. It's getting closer to a worldwide problem. This is what's happening that Joseph can't see. This is what's happening that Joseph doesn't know while he's serving these two more years in prison. Two more years of the valley. You might be going through your two more years of the valley, and it may not be an actual two years. It may be multiple years, seasons of life. But while Joseph is being refined in the prison for two more years, it's getting closer to, fa to famine time, and a desperate pharaoh is going to need help from someone. You're in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1, when two full years have passed, now that's about 13 years in Egypt total, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came seven cows. They looked pretty good, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, some seven ugly cows came out of the river. They were gaunt, and they were skinny and so forth. They came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched and ugly and just barely alive. Verse 7, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. You see, we don't know these things are happening when you're in the valley. Joseph wasn't aware that Pharaoh was having these dreams. Joseph wasn't aware that God was working in these ways as he's in prison. He didn't know any of this until someone came to retrieve him. You don't know what's happening while you're walking through the valley right now. Because God's ways are higher than your ways. You don't know how God's working and can work in your life if you remain faithful in the midst of prison. This is a picture of famine that Pharaoh has. That's what this, this dream is. We're led to believe that this is a worldwide famine. A worldwide. Everybody who has settled all over the world recognizes that things are scarce. Genesis chapter 41, this will be on your screen, verse 57. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. I'm telling you the end of the story a little bit. Because the famine was severe everywhere. Joseph spent two more years in prison. He had no idea that those two more years were going to prepare him to save the world. Are you in your two years? Does it seem like in your struggle, your trials, it seem like, boy, this has just gone on long enough. God is still working, continues to work. While in prison, we scarcely think about how our tribulations may affect the world and perhaps even save the world for someone else. You see, we think low thoughts, defeated thoughts, self-loathing thoughts. We think selfish thoughts. Yes, even in prison. And we don't have any idea what God is doing when we remain faithful. Remember, faith equals obedience, remaining obedient to who and what God is even while we're in prison. We forget and we don't believe that we have been given, we have given our lives over to God and that he is in charge of our lives. 
After all, if you've accepted Christ, what have you said? What have you done? What have you professed? You have said that you have given your life to Jesus, haven't you? I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to accept Jesus. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I got news for you. That means he's in charge. If you're going to give your life to Jesus, he's in charge of your life. We want to give our lives to Jesus and then pretend that we're still in charge of our life. That we have the ultimate say and the ultimate authority. That's just lying. That's all that is. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Then he's in charge. Genesis 41, 9-14. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh, You know what? <laughs> there was a guy two years ago. That's what he said. This jogged his memory. Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Why today and not before? Because it wasn't time yet. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant. He imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that night in verse 11. The dream had a meeting of its own. Verse 12, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams. He interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he quickly brought, they quickly brought him from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. After two more years in the valley, the whole kingdom, the whole world, need someone to interpret a vision from God and they need it now and while he's in the valley he's being refined they need someone who will speak for God and honor God in the process they need someone who's been tried and tested and spiritually battle hardened who's going to remain faithful to God and speak truthfully someone who's willing to be led by God regardless of the temptations and there's Joseph after being battle hardened in prison for another two years Joseph doesn't even know it yet, though God is in charge. Think about it. Abraham's descendants, Joseph's family, they're still living in Canaan. And Abraham was given a promise years before, I'm going to build your family into a great nation. Joseph's family, Abraham's family, is going to need to be saved. They're going to need food and help and a guide through Egypt. From someone who knows the people and the lay of the land. Someone who's spent time there and made connections. Someone who's able to forgive and show love to those who did not show love to him. Not only that, that family is going to need an incubator in order to grow into a great nation. That's going to be Egypt. And it's going to be Egypt because Joseph spent two more years in the valley. Because he spent two more years in prison. That's how Abraham's family is going to grow into a great nation. They're going to go, and they're going to grow, and eventually they're going to leave Egypt. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to go on this Exodus story, and they are going to receive the law of God that we read and use in our Bibles today. Why? Because Joseph spent two more years in prison. Because he spent two more years in the valley. Church, that law and that Exodus is going to be the foundation for their entire culture throughout their existence. And that culture is going to bring about King David, ultimately bringing about Jesus the Christ. Why? 
Because Joseph spent two more years in prison. That's why. He spent two more years in the valley that you don't want to walk through right now. That you're having a hard time persevering through. Jesus is going to establish the church. And that church is going to get a foothold in the Roman world because the Romans see it as an extension of the Jewish God worship. Why? Because Joseph spent two more years in prison. That's why. Eventually, that church is going to encompass the known Roman world under Constantine. And it's going to thrive, and it's going to have its highs, and it's going to have its lows. Then eventually, 1,500 years later, men like Martin Luther and James Kelly... Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone are going to come along and a church is going to be established in Russellvania, Ohio in 1849. You know why? Because Joseph spent two more years in prison. hundred and some years after that, a boy is going to be born in this church, raised by this church to know Jesus. And 41 years after that, he's going to realize how important Joseph's two years in prison were to his own life. God's in charge, church. He's in charge of your life. He's in charge of the valley. He's in charge of the prison. And he wants you to walk through it. He wants you to remain faithful. Because 6,000 miles away, 4,000 years ago, Joseph spent two more years in prison. I don't know where you are in your trial. I don't know where you are in your tribulation. I don't know where you are in your valley or how dark that dungeon is right now, but don't stop now. God's in charge. Let him be in charge. Trust him. That's what faith is, right? Trust and obedience. In the darkest of valleys, you have no idea what your faith is going to do generations from now. Our job, our job is to trust Jesus. When you're in your valley, perhaps one of many, Proverbs 19, listen to advice, accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise as a reminder many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's will that prevails. You give yourself over to the direction and guidance. Your job is to remain faithful, to possess yourself with patience, to persevere. Nothing escapes God's gaze. Not your valley, not your prison, regardless of how dark it is. I like in Matthew 10, are not two sparrows, this is Jesus talking, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And then he goes on to say in verse 30, trust me, you are a lot more important than a couple of sparrows. And he even knows their life. Nothing happens without him seeing, without him knowing, without him being in charge. 41, 15, 16, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And by the way, notice Joseph's response here to Pharaoh in verse 16. He says, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Joseph's basically telling Pharaoh, look, my power and my strength is not what has sustained me to this point. 
And he knows it in his life. Even before Pharaoh himself, he says, no, it's not me. I haven't been able to do it up to this point, and I'm not going to do it now. And I haven't been able to survive these 13 years on my own, my own strength, my own wisdom, my own guile, my own plans, nothing. He says, God can. And if God wants to, if he chooses to, he's going to give you the answer that you want. 28 through 30 is just as I said. So Pharaoh tells him the dream, 28 through 30. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. The seven years of famine are going to follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and a famine will ravage the land. Then Joseph tells Pharaoh, saying nothing about himself. He says, brother, you've got to put somebody in charge. <laughs> you've got to get out ahead of this thing. God has shown you this for a reason, so that you can respond wisely. In the coming years, you need to save for lean times ahead. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anybody like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? You go through your valley, when you go through your prison, what a thing to say. What a thing to say about someone who has just faced 13 years in bondage, 13 years not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, 13 years out of their sight, and yet Pharaoh, the king of the world at the time, says, boy, there is no one like this guy. Look at his faith. Look at his spirit working through him and in him. Doesn't say anything about his kingdoms, his castles, his accomplishments. Doesn't say anything about that. He says, this guy trusts the Father. <laughs> then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all these things known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And no one except God himself saw this coming. No one. Not even Joseph. Or did he? He had a dream years ago. Do you remember the dreams? Remember the dreams that kind of got him in trouble to begin with? Kind of got him on the outside of his brothers? You know, someday you guys are going to all bow down to me. Someday this, this whole clan, this whole family, even mom and dad are going to come before me and bow down. You know, his brothers didn't like that, surprisingly enough. Well, he had that dream. He knew that whatever that was was going to come to fruition, was going to be revealed and be realized. But bear in mind, he didn't know the details. He didn't know how. He didn't know where. He didn't know when. He didn't know how long he was going to walk through the valley. He didn't know how long he was going to be in prison. He didn't know how long he was going to be enslaved in Egypt. He has no idea. But he has a promise from God that his life is going to be used. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that that got him through all of this. Maybe it was those dreams, that vision, that word from God that made him travel through the valley he is in. Maybe that's the issue. And it would be nice... Boy, it'd be nice if we had the same thing. It'd be nice if we had similar words. 
similar pictures to carry us through our hardest times, our most difficult times. Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, look, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's been rough. It's been rough. It's been rough for you. It's been rough for me. It's been rough for Joseph. It's been rough in this valley. It's been rough in this prison. We know that everything in creation has been groaning. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body, the end of this valley, the end of these prisons. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's a wonderful picture of Joseph right there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We talked about this already. We don't even know what we ought to pray for sometimes. But the Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God is in charge, listens to, knows, understands your life, your mind, your trials, your plight better than you do. And where's the promise? Where's the vision? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know where your valley is going to end. I don't know what it looks like at the end. And I don't know what the next valley is you're going to go in. But we have the very same promise to us that Joseph had in a vision, in a dream. I'm going to work for your good if you are called, when you are called, as you are called, as you remain faithful to my purpose, because he's in charge in this world and in your life. At no point does he guarantee ease. Doesn't guarantee comfort. He doesn't guarantee safety. Doesn't guarantee any of that. He guarantees good. Good in your life. For those who remain faithful in the midst of this valley. The valley gets dark. The prison gets dark. I get it. But God's given us a promise. Our job is to trust Him, that He is in control, that He is in charge. Look, this is my Father's world. Let me ne'er forget that though the wrongs seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We know that you are in charge. We know that this is your world. This is your creation. Father, it is, it is really hard sometimes to see that. We have, to, we have to trust, Father, what we can't see. It's very hard for us to do that. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your perseverance. We need 
We need to be able to look, look back upon other times that you have carried us through life. Father, we need this, this peace, this joy that comes with realizing that you are in charge of this world and these lives. We ask, Father, that you help us to submit this life to you. Remain faithful to trust you, to obey you in the darkest valley and the deepest dungeon. That we may realize eventually that good. We don't even have a picture sometimes, Father, what that good is. We trust that it's good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
God loves you no matter what, that God is always with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Uh, we also want to leave them on night three with, hey, look, God's in charge. There's some crazy things out there, some scary things out there, and some things we can't control. But God is in charge of this world and this creation. Our job, our gift is to submit ourselves to who and what he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that this is your word. That this right now, here, us, in this room, that you're here, that you see this, that you're in charge of this. We don't have to fear things, Father. And we certainly don't want to pretend as though we are the ones who are supposed to be in charge. Father, help us to submit, help us to obey, help us to trust, and help us to be patient for you to work the good that you promised us you are going to work. In Jesus' name. Sometimes that does not turn out very well at all. Uh, well, case in point was last night. He wanted to camp out. He said, can we camp out this week? I said, yeah, buddy, it's up to you. And I thought that was going to be tomorrow night and, and give me a little bit of a break on Monday morning. That was not the case. It was last night. Uh, so, I, you know, haven't slept. And that's the way it goes. Sometimes, though, that's the way God treats us. And, and this, is, this is life. This is reality. Sometimes, God, and, and, and you need to know this. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth when we get to uh, a little bit later on this year in September. But there are times when God says about you and your life and your decisions and what's happening in your life, hey, it's up to you. It's up to you. Should I do this or should I do that? I, 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 don't, I don't care. It's up to you. Should I, you know, have this for breakfast or that for breakfast? God says, I, I don't, whatever you want. I don't, you know, there's some other things we could talk about, you know. I don't care. I don't care what you want, you know. And there's other, but there's all kinds of things. Sometimes even deeper things and some meaningful things in life, God says, do what you want. Do what you want. Uh, and that's a part that we get to play in this uh, whole big creation and all the wonderful things in our life and some of the trials in our life, difficulties in our life. But at no point, if I tell someone, if I tell Sam or, uh, you know, hey, do what you want, at no point am I giving up the charge of my home. Uh, at no point are we exchanging roles, you know, throughout life. At no point, even though we have the ability and right to make, you know, different decisions in our life, does God relinquish uh, control or this charge he has over his creation? God's in charge. God's in charge. He's in charge of this world. He's in charge of this life. He's in charge of this creation. Particularly if you've accepted Christ. Now, he's in charge by divine right and creation right. But he's also in charge... If you've accepted Jesus, what do we do when we say we accept Jesus? We give our lives to Christ. That's what we do. That's what we say. We've even told others about this. 
Have you been saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? And we, in our own minds, in our own hearts, our conscious effort to give our lives away over to Jesus Christ. And then, Jesus says, I'm in charge. We say, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wanted to give you my life, but not really give you my life. That's what I wanted. Say, I wanted to give you my life, but not really. God's in charge. He's in charge because this is his creation. He's in charge because he is God and you are not. And then on top of that, he is in charge because many of you, hopefully all of you in this room, give your lives over to Jesus. You have this. You have this. And it's a good thing because he stores up. He, uh, he keeps safe our life. Says Colossians, keep safe our life to be revealed to its fullest extent later on. But God is in charge. Over the past few weeks, we've seen some of the things about God, some characteristics of God as we look at what is monumental, big, huge, grand, important. We know that God loves us no matter what. He doesn't always agree with you. In fact, he doesn't always withhold some of the things that he needs to do in your life as far as discipline goes. If he withheld discipline in your life, that would mean he doesn't love you. If he would withhold difficulty, if he would withhold all challenge, if he would withhold all dis discipline in your life, that means he doesn't love you. In fact, he hates you at that point. So there's a lot of things in our life that express God's love to us, and some of those things are discipline, trial, testing, struggle. Some of those things are expressions of God's love in our life. We also know that Jesus says, oh, look, I'm with you clear to the end. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Very often, sometimes it's hard for him to see or hard for us to see that he is a part of our lives and there, understanding, going through these things with us, because I think we get a little bit too focused on our own lives, our own struggles, our own worries, our own cares. By the way, be here next week. We're going to talk about the power of God, um, the fact that God is stronger than anything, and we're going to go through some different cares and worries that people have in their life, uh, things they're scared of. And that's probably going to turn into a two-parter, so I, I, be here for that. We're going to address things, I guarantee you, in your own life, things that, things that you're, you're wrestling with. So God is going to be with us. He walks with us through this life, and our kids are going to know that. We need to know that as well. But God, through it all, is in charge. God's the one who built this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We ask, Father, that you be a part of this, that you help open our eyes, that you help us to understand and believe that you are, in fact, in charge of this, this creation, our lives, that nothing happens without you knowing, nothing happens without you allowing. Father, help us to see that. In Jesus' name, amen. God goes with us. He walks with us as he's in charge of this creation. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We've seen a lot of these things in, in, in Joseph's life and the different things he's going through. Last week, <coughs> we left Joseph <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> still in prison. Joseph, if you remember, asked the royal cupbearer 
while he's in prison, asked the royal cupbearer to talk to Pharaoh for him and get him out of prison. He was using the resources around him. But the, but the cupbearer forgot about it. It didn't take very long. Once the cupbearer was put in his position again, he forgot that Joseph was even in prison. Someone in prison, a fellow prisoner, begging, pleading, you're my last shot, you're my last hope, it seems like. And he forgets. So much for putting our hope in men. Now Joseph has been waiting under guard for two more years. A full two years after he talked to the cupbearer. A full two years after he saw this glimmer of light. And it might be easy for us if we're going through a dark valley. It might be easy for us if we find ourselves in some sort of temporary prison. To say to ourselves, look, things are getting out of hand. I've now been in Egypt in bondage in some way for 13 years. That's what Joseph did. 13 years of his life. 13 years that he's not going to get back. We'll talk about that next week as well. 13 years that he's not going to get back. This has gone on long enough. Joseph, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, falsely accused of uh, sexual assault by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison. He has a glimmer of light in the cupbearer. And now even that has fallen through. If that's fallen through, why was it even there to begin with? Why was it done to begin with? We're going to see in a little bit. But if you're struggling with this, maybe it's time to give up on God. Maybe it's time to take matters into our own hands, to resign ourselves to a life bereft of joy, just resign ourselves to a life bereft of freedom. Maybe if you've been in the valley long enough, you say to yourself, I wonder if the bad guys just won. I mean, it's been 13 years. Maybe the bad guys won. Maybe, maybe we actually live in a world where good and evil have an equal shot at victory. And it's all up to chance. Right? Now, you may not think that after a day. You might not think that after a season of life. But after 13 years over and over and over again, following God, following God, remaining faithful, trying your best, and you're still in this valley, still in this prison, you're still struggling with the same issues, whether they're mental or emotional or physical or spiritual, you still can't get your head above water, maybe, Joseph, maybe you're just not that special. You ever wrestle with those thoughts? Maybe God loves other people more than me, and I'm really not that big of a deal. I'm just not that important. And that's why I'm going through all these struggles all the time. Because God's got bigger things to deal with. That he's got bigger, more important, more special people to raise up and lift up. And I'm just me would be easy to have these thoughts after 13 years in bondage. Maybe it's time to throw in the towel. But I will tell you this. I've noticed this in my own life, and I've noticed this in the lives of others. Sometimes in order for us to realize that God is in control, He needs to put us in situations that we cannot control. Sometimes in order for us to realize God's in control, we need to be put in situations that we can't control. Now, we look at those situations sometimes, we think this is bad, evil, wrong, God's angry, God hates me, I'm left alone, so on and so forth. But what's actually happening is God is giving us a gift. 
opening our eyes, strengthening our minds, our hearts, who and what we are. I'm going to take control away from you so that you can realize just how big and how powerful I am and how special you actually are. Our job is to ask the question, how do I respond? How do I respond in the midst of this valley? 13 years, 13 years. What if there was a way to hurry up God? Have you ever wanted to hurry up God? I have. I have. You can, you can, you can agree to that if, if, that's, if that's gone through your head before. You know, we say trust God. We say God's in control. We say do this, do that. You ever wanted to hurry him up? Look, if you're going to work to an end, if I know that this valley is going to come to an end sometime, if I know that this prison is not permanent, especially if I've given my life to Jesus, I want you to just hurry up. I wish he'd hurry, whatever the valley is. God is in charge, and he always will be. And something you need to remember is we run on his time. We run on God's time, his will, his power. Now, I hate to say we run on God's plan because that requires more explanation uh, than to just say that. So I, we'll get into that in September. I'm going to break down what it means when God has a plan. Okay, but we do run on his time and through his will. We don't know tomorrow, and God does. He has all the power, even the power that you have been granted. That comes from God. Again, remember, this is his creation. You are his creation. He is the king on his throne. He has your life well in hand. He knows more about your life than you do. He knows more about your thoughts than you do. He knows more about your emotions than you do. He knows more about you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. In fact, he says... Sometimes when you pray, <laughs> you don't even know you. So God the Holy Spirit steps in and prays for you. Because you don't even know that much about your own life. Your own thoughts and your own uh, uh, attitudes and your own heart is scattered. God's in control. So much in control that he helps you even when you're praying to him. Point is this, God's ways are so far above our ways that we can scarcely make sense of them sometimes. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord. That's the job. Seek the Lord. If he's in control, seek the Lord. If his ways are above our ways, if his thoughts are above our thoughts, our job is to trust him. Our job is to remain faithful to him. What do we know about faith? Faith and obedience are the same thing. Faith and obedience go together. There is no such thing, right? We've talked about this a million times. There is no such thing as having faith in Jesus and not obeying Jesus. It does not exist in the universe in which you occupy. There is no such thing. Faith and obedience go together. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on them. And to our God who will freely pardon them. We've been talking about prisons, haven't we? For my thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts. Trust me. He says, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If God is in control and we have a hard time seeing, if God's in charge and we have a hard time seeing where he's leading us, what he's doing, and the many things he's doing around the world, behind the scenes, in your own life, in your valley, and in your prison, no wonder... His thoughts are higher than yours. But he does call us into that, doesn't he? He does call us to trust him, to know him, 
to serve him, to remain faithful to him, to obey him. You see, these are the things Joseph is doing while he's in prison. These are the things that's helping him get through this valley. He is taking to heart these words from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah comes a lot later than Joseph does, but he's taking to heart these same words. He's pursuing God. He's pursuing this righteousness in the midst of the valley and beginning to see, beginning to possess himself with patience. So what if I told you there was a way to hurry up God as we look at Joseph's life, or at least make it seem as though God was hurrying up? Not only that, you've done it before. In other areas of life, you've done it before, and you'll do it again to hurry things up. Or, again, make it seem as though things are being hurried up. I'll give you an example from Scripture. Remember, I told you a long time ago, Laban wanted Jacob to work for him for seven years in order to marry his daughter, Rachel. Remember, remember that story? Jacob's Joseph's dad. This, is, this comes from earlier. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter. Laban said in verse 19, hey, it's a good idea. It's better that I give her to you than some other man stay here with me. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But what they seem like? They seem like only a few days. In other words, they seem like a really short time. Because he was so dedicated to the object of his love. He was working for the object of his love. You see, this is exactly what Joseph's doing while he's walking through the valley. He is throwing himself into wherever he is, throwing himself into service to the object of his love. If you're in a valley or if you're in a prison, you are going to emerge in God's time, not your own. So the question remains, what do I do while I'm there? If I'm struggling, if I'm having a hard day, or a hard season of life. What do I do while I'm there? Can you use it? You want to get out of it? You want it to pass? You want it to go by fast? You take a lesson from Jacob. What can I do while I'm there? While you're going through a valley, can your spouse or your kids or your church watch you and learn what it takes to walk through a valley? Can they watch you? Can they see this is the lesson I need to learn? As I'm walking through this prison. Can they see the peace and power of God in your life? It's one thing to have life going you know, your way all the time. But it's another. It's an incredibly powerful testimony. To see you in the depth of the valley of the shadow of death. And still following Jesus Christ. And your kids see that. Your spouse sees that. Your church sees that. Your co-workers see that. What an incredible way. To be working for Rachel's love over those seven years. And that's what Joseph's doing. Again, I told you, you've done it before. You know the difference. Hurrying up, making things go fast. The difference between a busy day and a slow day. Busy day, you don't have enough time. You look at the clock when you show up. Next time you look at the clock, it's time to go home. And you got stuff you haven't even gotten done yet. But a slow day just drags on and on forever. It's like a bad sermon, just <laughs> forever. Get to the point. <laughs> Gary, I appreciate your communion meditation today. I really do. <laughs> it was good. 
Maybe in your valley you can disciple somebody else who's going through the same thing. I'll lay you 20 to 1 that whatever you're going through, somebody sitting in this room right now is either going through it just like it or very similar to it or has or will. Okay? What are you going to do? Are you going to work? No, Joseph is doing exactly that. While in prison, we saw last week, he's going about God's business. He's maintaining his faith. He's living with integrity. He is even interpreting dreams while he's in prison. And he is giving credit and honor to God in the process. We're going to see Pharaoh say something about Joseph at the very end of this lesson here today. It's going to pay off in his life and it's going to pay off in the lives of others. Why not? Why not pour yourself into God's service when you're in the valley? I mean, what else are you going to do? What, what other plan do you have? After all, God is in control. God is in charge. We know God is with Joseph. He says it multiple times. So why wait another two years? Why wait another two years and suffer in this valley? Because, again, God is in charge. Proverbs 16, in their hearts man plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Look, there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with knowing I want to get out. There's nothing wrong with figuring out what you're going to do when you get out of this valley or helping you know, plan your course through the valley. But ultimately, it's God that gives you the go-ahead. It's he's the one that says, all right, this is the way we're going to move. This is the way we're going to go. It's easy in the darkest part of the valley to think that God doesn't have the power, is not present, does not love, does not care. But God is always in charge and he's going to move exactly when he wants to move. Which, by the way, is exactly when he should move in your life. So what's happening to Joseph? Why the extra two years? What's happening in the world while Joseph is languishing another two years in prison. I'll tell you what's happening. Something Joseph doesn't know about. It's getting closer to famine time. That's what's happening. It's getting closer to famine time. Drought time. And Pharaoh? Pharaoh is going to need desperately some help. You see, we know that this is not merely a small famine. In fact, we're told... This is worldwide. Look at Genesis 41, 1 through 8. For two full years has passed. Two years after he talks to the cupbearer. That's 13 years total in Egypt. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, and out of the Nile came seven cows. They were good-looking, sleek, fat, good cows, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, in verse 3, seven other cows came up, ugly and gaunt. They came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. Verse 4, the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted. They were thin, ugly, barely alive, scorched. Verse 7, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. He's waking up a lot during that night. He must have been camping with us last night, just constantly <laughs> waking up. It had been a dream, verse 8, in the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. See, we don't know these things are happening when we're in the valley. Joseph has no idea that Pharaoh's having these dreams. Joseph has no idea that a famine is on the way. Joseph's not aware, at least until someone goes to retrieve him. You don't know what's happening in the valley, or in, the, in your life and in the rest of the lives around you while you're in the valley. You don't know how God's working, what he can do and what he will do if you remain faithful. Again, this is this picture of famine that Pharaoh has. 
I think we're led to believe it's a worldwide famine. Genesis 41, verse 57, and all the world came to Egypt. This wasn't just in Egypt. The entire known world started coming into Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. God is orchestrating a worldwide problem here. He's orchestrating a worldwide famine that's going to raise up Joseph to do amazing things even in your life. And Joseph has no idea during these last two years in prison. We scarcely think about how our tribulations may save the world. Or at the very least, save the world for someone. We think low thoughts when we're in prison or when we're in the valley. We think defeated thoughts, self-loathing thoughts. We think selfish thoughts. Yes, even in prison we can think selfish thoughts. We forget or we don't believe that we have, been, that we have given our lives over to God. And that he's in charge of our lives. Remember, faith equals obedience. We have no idea what God can do if we remain faithful. Genesis 41, 9 through 14. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Two years later? Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Two years later. Why not two years before? For one reason. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. God is orchestrating such that the world is going to come to Joseph's feet. That takes some time. <laughs> Joseph is being refined. He's being trained. He's being tested during all these times. Because essentially the world is going to be on his shoulders. The chief cupbearer says, look, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Verse 10, Pharaoh was once angry with me. And he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream one night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now there was a young Hebrew there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, uh, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. The other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Two more years, he's stuck in the valley. Two more years, he is in this prison. Are you in the two years? You might be, and I don't know if it's going to be two years. It might be 10 years. It might be next week. I don't know what it is, but there's these two years. There's this length of time that you're still struggling. You're still trying to figure stuff out, that you're wondering if you ought to remain faithful, if you can remain faithful. You're wondering if God really is in charge for two more years. Is this your two years? Let me tell you something. The whole kingdom, the whole world needs someone to interpret a vision from God, and they need it now. They need someone who will speak for God and honor God in the process. They need someone who's been tried, tested, spiritually battle-hardened, remains faithful, speaks truthfully. Someone who's willing to be led by God regardless of the temptations. And we know that's going to be Joseph. Joseph doesn't know it yet, but God is in charge. Think about this. Abraham's descendants. Abraham is, is Joseph's great-grandfather, all right? Abraham's descendants... Are, are going to need to be saved. Jacob's family is going to need to be saved. They're going to need to be fed. They're going to need to have relief from Egypt. And they get it. You know why? Because Joseph ends up spending two more years in prison. Then Pharaoh calls him into his presence. In fact, that nation 
this group, this small family of Jacob is going to come down into Egypt. They're going to spend time there. And they're going to need someone to show them around who has made connections. Someone who will forgive and show love to those who did not show, show love to him. The family is going to need an incubator to grow into a great nation. And one day they're going to leave Egypt to powerful people. And all that's going to happen because Joseph spent two more years in prison. This entire history of the nation. And they are going to leave Egypt eventually a powerful nation. They're going to go into the wilderness and they're going to receive from God himself the Old Testament law. And it's the very same Old Testament law that you read in your scripture today. All because Joseph spent two more years in prison. This exodus and this law is going to be the foundation on which this entire culture is built throughout time over the next 2,000 years. And over the next 2,000 years, King David's going to come from this culture and eventually Jesus the Christ. And you know why? Because Joseph spent two more years in prison. That's why. He remained faithful. Jesus is going to establish the church and the church is going to get a foothold. You know why? Because the Romans considered it an extension of this Jewish culture. It's going to be able to be established in the Roman world. Eventually, Constantine is going to come along and make this the official religion of the entire Roman world. Over the next 1,500 years, the church is going to have its ups and downs, its highs and lows, and it's going to thrive. Until 1,500 years later, men like Martin Luther and James Kelly, Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, they're going to come along and they're going to establish a church in Russellvania, Ohio in 1849, 6,000 miles from Egypt, 4,000 years later. 132 years after that, there's going to be a boy born in this church who's going to be raised by this church. And he's going to know Jesus through his church. 41 years after he's born, he's going to realize in a Bible study how important Joseph's two years in prison are to his own life. God's in charge, guys. God's in charge. He's in control. Don't think he's not. And I promise you, Joseph has no idea who I am at this point. But I thank him that he was faithful. That he remained trusting of God in these last two years. Are you in your two years? Because there's probably going to be two more years to come. Who knows? This valley, this prison. You have no idea what some of these things can do in your life. Generations from now, our job is to trust Jesus Christ. I'm glad God is in charge and not me. When and while you're in your valley, perhaps one of many, God is in charge. And you need to remember things like this, Proverbs 19. Listen to advice while you're in your valley. Listen to advice while you're in prison. Accept discipline. And at the end, you're going to be counted among the wise. Look, again, to drive the point home, many are the plans in a person's heart. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. The Lord's purpose will prevail in your life. Again, remain faithful, possess yourself with patience and perseverance. He's in charge now, he's in charge today, even as you look at the current culture. Nothing escapes his gaze, church. Nothing escapes his will, not even you. Matthew chapter 10, the very words of Jesus are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And then Jesus goes on to say, you're worth a lot more than a couple of birds. A lot more. 
Continuing on in Genesis 41, 15 through 16, Pharaoh said to Joseph, look, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it was said that you, uh, said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love Joseph's response here, verse 16. He says, no, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, it would be very tempting. He's out of prison. He's standing before Pharaoh. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Whatever you want, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, uh, however I can spin this to my advantage, I'll do it. That's not what Joseph says. He says, nope, it's not me. Over these past two years in prison, it wasn't me. Over these past 13 years, it wasn't me. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my vision. It wasn't my control that helped me and guided me through this valley and through this prison to this point. It wasn't me. Joseph gets it. He understands that. Even in front of Pharaoh, this is his moment. This is his chance. And he says, no, actually, I can't do that. He says, God can, and I do what God wants. I, I try to do what God wants, and if this is what he wants, then this is the way this is going to go. He's going to give you the answer that, that he wants to give you, but it's all on him because he's in control and he's in charge. So Pharaoh relays the dream to Joseph that we read earlier, and then in 28, this is Joseph speaking. He says, look, it's just as I said to the Pharaoh, God has shown the Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine are going to follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. And then Joseph says, without talking about himself at all, he goes on to give wisdom and advice to Pharaoh. He says, look, you got to put somebody in charge of this, brother. you, you got to have somebody watching over your kingdom preparing for this calamity. That's why it was revealed to you. You're revealed for a reason, so that you can act wisely in the years to come, save for the lean times ahead. Verse 37 through 40, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Now remember, I told you Pharaoh was going to say something about him. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Can you imagine after you've gone through your darkest valley, after you've gone through your worst time, after you've been in the prison for 13 years, after you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, now you stand in front of whoever it is, whether it's Pharaoh and anybody else, and the first thing they see, they think of, they hear, they know, they understand about your faith is, here is one who has the Spirit of God, clearly. That's what faith does. Not only is it an incredible strength to you and me, it's an incredible testimony to the people around us. He could have said one thing or the other. He could have said, here's someone who has the spirit of God. Or he could have said, here's someone who just gave up. Here's someone who just gave up. Lost my place. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace. And all of my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He's about 30 years old at the time. And no one except God himself saw this coming. And God saw it coming clear from the beginning. Clear from the beginning. Not even Joseph saw this coming. Or did he? You know, he did have some visions, right? He did have a dream earlier on in his life. Remember these dreams? He, he told them to his brothers, got him in trouble. He said, you guys are going to bow down to me, right? 
Even mom and dad are going to bow down to me someday. You're going to, you know, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be, you know, have this position of authority. He did have these dreams. But I promise you this. In fact, we know this from Scripture. He didn't know anything about the particulars. He didn't know where. He didn't know when. He didn't know how. He didn't even know what it was going to look like. He didn't know it was going to be at 30 years old. For all he knew, it was going to be at 130 years old. He didn't know any of that stuff. Well, I'll tell you what he did have. He had a promise. He had the word of God being promised to him. And I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's those visions that kept up his faith, that kept up his strength in the prison. I wonder if it's those visions that kept up his strength as he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And if it is, wouldn't it be nice if we had a similar promise? Wouldn't it be nice if God gave us a word that says, I guarantee you at the end of this, it's going to be good. I promise you, I guarantee you, it cannot be taken back at the end of whatever this trial is, whatever this life is, whatever this valley is, however long this prison's going to be. If you trust me, it is going to be good. I wish we had a similar vision. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 22, look, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, just like it's happening in Joseph's life, just like it's happening in the world there. Famine coming. It's bad stuff. Look around. We know that all of creation is groaning. Not only so, but we ourselves. Paul's talking about, look, even, even us, you and me, this church, Paul, he says, even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, eagerly for the end. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, this guarantee that Jesus is going to work, we are saved. But look, hope that's not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope, this is what Joseph is doing, if we hope, but if, <laughs> but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently, possessing ourselves with patience. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know what we ought to pray for. We talked about that, didn't we? But the Spirit knows us so well, right? He knows everything about us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is the dream that Joseph got. Joseph was sure that it was going to come to fruition. And so on the darkest day, in these extra two years, he kept going. This is the same dream. This is the same word. This is the same vision. At no point does God promise us it's going to be easy. At no point does he promise us it's even going to be fun. He definitely doesn't promise us it's going to be safe. But he promises that he is going to work for your good in this valley, in this prison. For who? For those who are called according to his purposes. Why his purposes is not our own? He's in charge. 
He's in charge. We give our lives over to Jesus. Jesus, you're in charge. You're in control. You know what God says? This is according to my will and my purposes. Guess what's going to happen after that? It's going to end up good for you. Good for you. Maybe that good for you is tomorrow. Maybe that good for you is eternal life. It's going to turn out good. So when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, know that you have the same promise, the same vision, the same dream that Joseph did. That one day you're going to be adopted, right? Into this kingly family, the adoption of sonship. This is what we get to look forward to, this promise of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard these words before, but they ring true. It's always been one of my favorites, just one of the verses. This is my Father's world. Well, let me ne'er forget that though the wrongs seem all so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let all earth be glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you are in charge, and we thank you that it's you and not us. But Father, we need to trust you. You're asking us to trust things that we don't see. You're asking us to trust you when we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. We need your help. We need your strength. We need, we need this intercession by the Holy Spirit right now, right now. Because you know our minds, our hearts, you know us. And so, Father, we need your help. We know that it's true. It's just hard to live out sometimes, Father. Help us to remember that this, everything we do, everything we go, everywhere we go, everything we are, this is your kingdom, your kingdom. And you are in control of your kingdom everywhere. Help us to take great joy and peace and comfort in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Yeah. 